listening to Village Talks. Okay, you are listening to Village Talks podcast. Uh, my name is Mark Clark. I'm your host and very special show for me today. Uh, I get to interview my 94-year-old grandfather, <laughs> William Redpath. What, what's the math on that? Bobby, I call him Bobby. That's what you know. That's the title. That's for. me, William Redpath. William, Willie, or Willie the Lump Lump, or whatever you like to call me. <laughs> so, I get a lot of different names. I bet. So, what year? What year, we're going to jump right in. We're, we're talking to uh, talking to Bobby today around uh, just life, and uh, you know, you don't get to sit down with many ninety-four year olds and talk about life and how he grew up and uh, his faith in Jesus and what does that meant for his life. So. Um, we're going to jump right in. Bobby, tell us about, we're going to kind of go a bit through your early life and then later how you met Jesus, but uh, talk about uh, when you were born, uh, where you were born, what was your, you know, what did that all look like? What year were you born? I was born in uh, 1922 on May the 31st. I okay. was a little baby when I was born, <laughs> very small. That's good. <laughs> and I was born on, in a house on Herbert Avenue, Toronto, down in the beaches area. Okay, yes, yeah. And grew up there and had a wonderful time in the beaches. And nice. And just uh, had a good life. And brothers and sisters? I had what, one that... sister five years younger than I was. Okay. And uh, when my uh, folks broke up when I was uh, 14 years old, 15 years yeah. old, uh, my mother and I and my sister were out on our own, hmm. and uh, at 16 years old, my mother put me to work because we had to hold the house together. Right. So I went to work, and she went to work at the Salvation Army for $10 a week, and I went to, to work for $10 a week for 50 hours work, right. 20 cents an hour times 50, $10 a week. Right. So between the two of us, we were able to survive that way. So you were you were 16. You had to come out of school when you were I had, 16. I had to leave school at 10th grade. I never got my education in. Right. Because uh, you had to work to support your family. So I had to go to work. Why did that? Why did your parents break out? What was that about? Well, it was a problem with my father. <laughs> mm. He liked to wander a bit. So, okay. But I had a good mother, wonderful mother, and yeah. uh, so she. So your parents divorced. Yes. And so you had to leave school. I had to leave school, go to work. 10th grade, go to work to make 10 hours a week. And so without you, an education. Right. Uh, couldn't get very good jobs and right. so forth. And so, so what on. job did you go into to make? Uh, uh, I worked for General Motors for a little while, making parts. At 16 years old? Yes. Okay. Uh, like, in a, like in a line? Uh, I worked at, uh, we had a, uh, in the machine shop, it was then we had punch presses and and welders and so forth. Okay. And I got most of the time into the welding part, and I uh, was a welder for several right. years. Okay. So you're 16 years old, working as a welder in the GM plant yes, in Toronto. Wow. Parts for General so Motor this was cars. in the 30s or the 40s? What was the 40s? Uh, I can't well, do the math. Maybe <laughs> <part of the laughs> uh, Late 30s, something like that. Late okay. 30s, yeah. So. Okay, so uh, talk about, because obviously my generation, we look back at uh, World War II as a big, as a big event. Uh, obviously, my generation never saw it, but yours did. And so talk about that for a few minutes. What, what was your experience as a Canadian? Uh, you're in your 20s probably. People start going to the war, getting drafted. Also, what, I joined the Air Force, and I yeah. was in the Air Force. I, I Everybody wanted to be a pilot, but I, I never got to be a pilot. I was right. in the ground crew. 
Okay. And I worked on uh, aero engines and so forth to support the aircraft. Right. And uh, for some time I was in the Toronto area, but I was moved out uh, west here in the, uh, uh, in about 43, I think it was, okay. 42, yeah. 43. Yeah. Uh, and I was stationed out here mm. near, near Vancouver. Yep. In Abbotsford, and, in, in Abbotsford. fact, right? Yeah. Uh, so we had... Uh, you came out here on a train or something with a bunch of young 20-year-olds? Well, we supported the, the aircraft there, and we were, we were teaching uh, people to, to fly the bombers, which mm-hmm. we had here. And they, a lot of them came from England mm-hmm. to learn to fly here and would then return to England for the, for the war area. Mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never got overseas. My friend that I joined with got into got overseas, but I never got, it, got there. I got that far. Right. And I was stationed out this way for the, the balance of the war. Right. And I was in Vancouver quite often. I was mm. here on, I happened to be here on VJ Day mm. when Vancouver went wild. Right. And uh, it was quite a time I here. Bet. So it was, what was it, like a big parade, like a big, just big party oh, in the Vancouver? the city what? went crazy right. on VJ Day right. after right. the war. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, in a little while we had to muster out for right. the Air Force. Right, right. So you, went, so you went back to Toronto, and uh, uh, obviously you lost, you lose friends. Like, did you, people who you were stationed with in Abbotsford, did they go off and not come back? Back, they, they uh, went to their different homes right, wherever right, they yeah. came from. Right, but any they guys... came from different areas. Right, right, gotcha. Any guys, like, that you knew in Abbotsford that went and actually died in the war, or did they do... No, they, they just dispersed and went back to their homes, so... Uh, really, when you went, when we arrived back to where we used to live, yeah, yeah. our friends had all dispersed by that time, and we had to right. make new friends and neighbors and so forth. Right, right, right. So you went back. You had, uh, uh, and, and you went back to what job? I didn't have a job. Right. <laughs> so what'd you do? Uh, it was a, it wasn't easy to find a job. Right. It was very hard to find a job. Right. And I took a couple of temporary jobs for mm-hmm. a while, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Finally, I did uh, get employed and uh, and uh, worked for a company, and I had not a very nice job, a very mm-hmm. dirty job. Mm-hmm. I was a, a, a quality control inspector for certain things I had to do in the, in this job, and, uh, and then I during that time. I had the wonderful privilege of meeting my wife. Right, yeah. So let's talk. A, a, let's la- ta- a lady that be, soon became my wife. Yes. So let's talk about young love. We all, uh, uh, we, so my nanny just passed away this time last year. Uh, so they were, you were married for 67 years. Uh, an amazing woman. And uh, so take us back to how you met nanny. Take us back to the story of young love. It's in the 40s. You're back from the war. You're working a job. How did you end up meeting Helen? Uh, 1947, mm-hmm. I met Helen in the early part of February of that year mm-hmm. and uh, started taking her out to dance and to shows and so forth. And got how, did you, how did you meet her originally, though? Uh, Weren't you, da- you were trying to date the sister or something, I you? actually had gone to a dance <laughs> and yes. met her sister at a dance right. and taken her sister home. Yeah. And when, we t- when I took her home, I was introduced to the, her sister, which was right. later become my wife. Right. <laughs> and uh, as soon as I met her, 
I kind of had a crush on her right away. And, so you uh, had a crush on the sister. Then you went home and you, you the sis, uh, the other sister. I really have a crush on the sister, <laughs> but I, I took her home. I yeah. had a, an evening with her and took her home. Right. And, and then, uh, so Aunt Grace, Helen's, you know, Nanny's sister said to Nanny, you know, you got, yes. you got to meet this hot stud Grace, or what? the lady who I'd picked up, at, her sister that I picked up yep. at the dance, uh, came home and told Helen, who became my wife, that she'd met a, a nice young fellow that oh, would yes. be good for her. And my wife said, don't be picking me any any men. She said, if I find a, if I find a one that I want to marry, I'll find him myself. I don't need your help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, that's the reaction she got. Right. But, but anyway, she, went out, got she agreed to, to go out with you anyway. I, I got a little crush on, on Helen. Right. I took, started taking her out, and we got quite close. Right. And we weren't uh, together uh, too long before I took her down to uh, Sunnyside one day and we were on the boardwalk and we sat on the park bench mm-hmm. and I asked her if she would marry me. Right. So, she, so tell me, uh, you, you were telling me the other day about the day you, you really decided that she was the one. She was. Well, if you want to go into yeah, that. Yeah, I want to hear. Yeah, what, what's uh, <clears throat> us young guys when we were chummed around and took girls out here and there and met them here and there, we found that some of those girls weren't too trustworthy. If you, if their birthday came along and you bought them a watch, wouldn't be long before you'd go to somebody else and be hanging around with somebody else, and you'd have to go and ask for your watch back <laughs> and so forth. So we, we got that we couldn't really trust So you would give her a watch for a birthday, she would start dating another guy, and you'd have to go get the watch back. <laughs> Why should she keep the wash? Right. <laughs> so anyway, that's the kind of thing that happened. And we, right. we found that some of Good those point. girls weren't too trustworthy. Right. Okay. And uh, one night I uh, I had been taking Helen out for a while, and I got to know her quite well, and I kind of got in, falling in love with her. And one Saturday I uh, phoned and asked her if she'd like to go out. And she said she'd worked hard at that. She was a little tired, and she was going to go to bed. Well, I... I said, go to bed on a Saturday night? I can't believe it. Everybody goes out Saturday night. Right. So I got dancing. a little suspicious. What, what, what was the Saturday? What would you do Saturday? What was the big? Take her dancing. Tank da- okay, Saturday dan- night was a dance. You go to time. what, the local community? Yeah. What was the? We went to a dance, a special dance hall down okay. in the Sunnyside area. And right. uh, that's where we used to go quite often. Right. And when she said she was busy and t- tired from the day of work, uh, I said, I, I kind of wondered about it. So I jumped on a streetcar <laughs> and for 45 minutes rode the streetcar out to where she lived and went up and knocked on her landlady's door. And the landlady didn't, you didn't, comes tr- you didn't trust her. You, you, you didn't know. I, you thought so she was lying. The landlady came to the door and yeah. I said, uh, Is Helen home? She says, Yeah, I think she is. She's up in bed. <laughs> I said, Oh, she is in bed. Yes. I said, well, you better not bother. So she said, anyway, she says, come in. She called her down. So Helen comes in, what, what are you doing? I said, oh. I said, I guess I have to admit that when you told me. I was here to get my watch. You were going to bed. Yeah. I uh, kind of had my doubts, so I thought right. I'd jump in the streetcar and come out and I checked up on you. Yeah. I said, I'll tell you, I was really glad to find you were home. <laughs> so I, I really felt. Well, I had a woman here that I could, I was sold out on and I could trust. And it wasn't long after that that I 
sat on a park bench and asked her to marry me. So you, so you met in Feb- January or February? In February. You and, asked her uh, to marry you when? Oh, it'll be around June, maybe. June, okay. And, and then we married... decided we'd get married in September. In September. So we got married on September the 20th. Wow. Now, we neither one of us had any money. Right. Money was just something that was untalked about right. in those days. right. So the dear landlady said, well, if you want to get married, you can use my living room for the wedding mm-hmm. and my dining room for the reception. Nice. So it was very nice of her, so we arranged that, mm-hmm. and we had a couple of uh, cake made and so, so forth, and they arranged all that, and we had a preacher come, and uh, the fam- both families came together. Mm-hmm. It was a little crowded in there, but we, we made it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we took pictures in an, an old backyard with a wooden fence around it, and we had took it with a little box brownie camera with a t- <laughs> with, that would have de- developed uh, black and white prints. Right. Nothing spectacular, no right. colored right. photographs, or right. no special uh, man coming in taking our pictures and so forth. Right. And the, wow. anyway, that that marriage lasted for over wow. sixty-seven years, and it was wow. a wonderful marriage. We had a wonderful life together, and I, yeah. and I reflect on what a wonderful wife I had, and mm-hmm. and my two girls. I, we had two girls, beautiful girls, and uh, the grandchildren we, that came along were wonderful, and we yeah, all got all right. together and had wonderful times together. Yeah. So you met in uh, January, February. You get married in September. That doesn't happen today. You know, that's no. that's that's crazy. That's well, amazing. Was that was that rare back then, or was that pretty was that pretty normal that people would meet and get married six, seven, eight months later? Well, I don't think that uh, short marriages like that took place too often, unless right. there was a good reason for it, uh, like a pregnant or something like that right, taking right. place. Right. And there was always the suspicion of that with you guys when we got married in such yeah. a short time of right. of not. Right. But uh, our first birth was in uh, two years later in '49. Right. My first girl was born. So right. All right. There's okay. No concerns so, about that. So you're uh, so you get married and then what? What do you do? So this is now uh, what year were you married again? Nineteen. That was forty-seven. Forty-seven. So now what, you get married. You got no money. No. What do you What do you do? We're both out to work. Right. Um, by this time, I was fortunate enough to make. <laughs> Sum of $42 a week. Okay. And my wife was working for Rogers Radio and she was making approximately the same, maybe a little more. Okay. Yeah. And we went along on that. We were doing fairly good with a combination of our wages together. What did she do at Rogers Radio again? She she welded uh, tubes. They used to have tubes for the radios and the, the elements in the tubes needed to be welded. Right. And there was a line of girls that welded these tubes. And Helen was one of the fastest at it, mm-hmm. and so they uh, they stood behind her uh, for two or three days, timing her and every movement that she made until it got so on her nerves so much she just about had a breakdown. And she calls me crying over the phone one day that uh, this was happening to her. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Well, just pack it up and come home." <laughs> so, <laughs> So anyway, I cut off half our, half of our income was gone. So she came home. She was and making so more than you, home. and you told her to quit. And right. I told her to quit, come right. home. Was, I didn't want a, a wife that was <laughs> uh, a mental case by this time. So 
Uh, she came home, and uh, a couple of days later, Rogers phoned her up, apologized to her for what they were doing to her, mm. and wanted her to come back. Right. But the but sad part of it is that her friend decided to quit the same day. Right. So she was at home without a job. Yeah. So Helen said, well, if, if I'm coming back, if I come back, is my friend Elsie coming back too? And they said, no, we don't want Elsie to come back. We just want you to come back. But Helen, being a, a close friend of, of her, it wouldn't, wouldn't come back. She said, no, if you're not going to take Elsie back, then you can forget about me. I won't be back either. Oh, that's Danny. So we Stubborn. struggled along. Helen <laughs> got awesome. some little jobs, making right. a lot less money, and right. we gradually struggled along for a few years, the next few years, and we were able to save up two thousand two hundred dollars by nineteen fifty-one. Yes. Okay. Uh, and uh, we decided to be by this little house that was being built, a little frame house. So at at that time, you were living in Toronto in a two-room, We were two living room in a, a two-room, what, what we known as, as a flat. Yeah. It was two rooms in the second story of a house. Okay. So we, we lived in that house and raised our two girls in there. Right. So now take us through um, your um, how you got the job at IBM. How did that come about? Because you worked at IBM well, for 30-something years before the you retired, education, right? Yeah. I really didn't have good qualifications for a, a more elite job. Right. And, uh, but the type of work I was doing was a, a minor inspection type of work. And a friend of mine noticed an article in the paper of IBM looking for inspectors, and he suggested to me that I make an application. Mm-hmm. And he encouraged me to do that, and uh, I finally did, under his encouragement, and uh, made application, was uh, interviewed, and was hired by IBM, and uh, worked for IBM for over 30 years. 30 years. Right. Doing so, inspections and... Yes. Yeah, okay. I, I, hired, I was hired up by IBM mm-hmm. as an inspector. Right. So now, <clears throat> take us through your faith story. So to this point, you had been raised in a home, uh, you weren't... It wasn't a Christian home. You didn't grow up going to church. Your parents no. weren't into that. Now you're married. You're not yeah. a Christian yet. Right. How did you become a Christian? How did you? I was driving into work, mm-hmm. and I had an old car, 41 Dodge. And one morning, I was about five minutes from work, and it blew up on me. Mm-hmm. So I struggled in the rest of the way, parked it down the street. It was a dead-end street uh, where the plant was and walked into work, and then I started looking around <coughs> and asking for people. This is at IBM, up, and, right? At IBM, IBM, and uh, looking for somebody that maybe I could get a lift home with or do something about the car. So I was introduced to a man, his name was Ross Liddell. I didn't know who him from my first fresh, first met him. I didn't know who he was or what he was or where he was from, except that he was from Pickering. And he was a, he would give me a lift home, but he uh, it was about nine o'clock that morning, and he said, uh, uh, "Where's the car now?" I said, well, "It's just down the street." And he says, "Well, he says, let's go down and have a look and see what's the matter with it." So, so was this? So this was at IBM, but this was a different. This was a different this, building this than the, what you worked in, though. Or? IBM was being built on Don Mills Road, mm-hmm. and the, this particular part of the facility uh, was 
was uh, the old part where we were, uh, the West End. Yeah. That had not been developed right. with the new building yet to take this part of it in. Right. Which would be another six months. So we're six months in the old building. Right, okay. And that's where we were at this time when I drove out and right. the car broke down. So he said, uh, well, let's go and have a look. So we went down the street and I'd look at it and realized that I'd blown a head gasket. So I said, I guess I better get it towed in. So he said, no, no, no. He said, we'll fix it. Mm. I said, wait a minute, fix it on the street? Yeah, no problem. That's the type of individual he was. So we went down after work, and uh, we had some tools with us from the plant. And I started taking some of the things off the top. And he went, jumped in his pickup truck, and went to get a gasket. And by the time he got back, I had most of the stuff off the head, and we'd take the head off, took, lifted it, put a new gasket on, bolted it all down, put it all back together, started it up, we got uh, water, <laughs> brought water down from the plant in a pail, filled up the radiator, started up the motor. By 7 o'clock, we were on the road, and he followed me home to make sure it didn't break down again. And he was, became my best friend. Mm. And uh, I found out he was born again a Christian. And uh, I, in fact, I, when I, I rode with him to back and forth to work for a while, and the odd time I'd drop a swear word, and I'd say, oh, I'm sorry, Ross, I didn't mean to, to say swear I know you're a Christian. And he'd say, don't worry about me, Bill. He says, it's the Lord you should be concerned with. Don't be concerned about me. Yeah. And so he kind of made me start to think. And uh, uh, Billy Graham happened to come to town, <laughs> and he was going to the uh, arena. Maple Leaf Gardens, was it? Yeah. He'd just come for one night. And, uh, so this was what year now? Do you remember? This was 1955. 1955, okay. And, so one uh, night. So he took Helen, we, we arranged that, yeah. and we went down to, to get to see Billy. And uh, So it's you, Nanny, Ross, and his wife yes. at this time? Okay, so the yes. four of you go down. Four of you, yeah. Ross took us down in his yeah. car, picked us up, took us down there. Yeah. And uh, it was the Maple Leaf Hockey Arena down there. Yeah. And they were... Packed to the doors, and their their lineup was around on the Wood Street behind the, and so we couldn't get in, right. so it was hopeless. So that uh, fall, Billy arranged to come back for, for the month of October, and they were at the exhibition in what we used to call the Horse Palace, and that's where Billy preached for a month out there, and Ross, and invited me to go out, yeah. and uh, second time I went out. Billy was preaching on Mark 8, 36, and what shall a prophet a man gain the whole world and his soul and so forth. And uh, I went forward and trusted the Lord that day, mm. that night, and yeah. uh, praised the Lord for that. Yeah, so it was just you and Ross that went down. Yes. So you were telling me that when Billy was preaching, he was doing some weighing all... Oh, he was weighing <laughs> all... All the things of your life or something like that. Uh, all the boats, all the cars, all the refrigerators, right. all everything, anything was materialistic. Right. Everything in the world yeah. he's bringing before you and piling it up in front of you yeah. in your imagination. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's... What, what would it profit a man to gain all these yeah, all things the, yeah. and yet forfeit your, yeah. your soul? Yeah. So did Ross, do you remember, like, when you went down to accept Christ, did Ross go down with you or did he just lay, no, stay back? No, I went back? down. 
I you went, went down by yourself. Yeah. He didn't even go down with you, right? Well, I certainly wasn't by myself because many other people what? went yeah, yeah. forward. Thousands too. probably, right? And, uh, so he did a month of meetings. Yes. Wow. So Nanny wasn't with you at no. the time. So you no. then came back and became a Christian. And yes. what happened? Like you get a, yeah. did you go buy a Bible? What, what happened the first well, yes, I met, I, I met other Christians at IBM, yeah. and we had a little fellowship there. And during the day, if we ever met each other, we'd have a little Christian fellowship together, and we, or at noon hour, or we're out having lunch together. And so there was a little fellowship at IBM. There was a few Christians there, born-again yeah. believers. Yeah. So we got to know each other, and, and uh, there was a lot of Christian comradeship there. Right, right. And uh, and besides Ross, sure as well. And then you finally start. How long did it take you to start going to church? And because well, one of, one of the chaps uh, that we were in fellowship at IBM uh, was in what was known as the Gospel Hall, mm-hmm. and uh, he was in the, in the Gospel Hall on Morningside Avenue uh, down in Toronto there. Yeah, and uh, he invited me to come out to the right. meetings at. So this was how long after you'd gone to Billy Graham? Oh, just shortly after. Okay, shortly after. So that's when you started going to church. And And I went into fellowship uh, with with the Gospel Hall on Morningside, and I was quite happy there. Yeah. And uh, worked hard. We, you know, we worked hard distributing, moving out to the areas around us. We had, uh, it was mostly a Roman Catholic church area, and it was a little hard going. You yeah. spread the gospel there, but uh, we so did. what did you start doing? Going house, to, you started actually uh, going, going to talk to people house to house, or what? Yeah, house <laughs> really? to house with tracks and yeah, know, yeah, invitations and so right. forth. And how did that? And meeting on the corner, inviting people to come to the meetings on the evening on the gospel. Yeah, and you guys were such a great example of a, and and really you. I mean, I I use you in some of my marriage sermons where nanny, you know, she couldn't, she never drove, she never got her license, so if she was going to go anywhere, she was dependent on you. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> she uh, wasn't always well, and so you have this adventurous spirit where you want to travel and you want to go do these things, uh, and you couldn't. You had to sacrifice some of that stuff. Uh, which I think is probably one of the the keys to why you were married for sixty seven years the ability to be a little more selfless and focused on somebody else other than yourself. Tell the story real quick about you uh, and go, going to California your California trip oh yeah how did that come about i uh, Give me, what what year was it? How did you get the idea? How did you pull it off? <clears throat> I had been working at IBM for a while and yeah. I had we had uh, opportunity to speak uh, to to work a lot of overtime. And uh, instead of taking the money for the overtime, I take the hours, and I build up to maybe an extra two or three weeks holidays. Right. And I had uh, built up that I had, beside my regular holidays, which were about three weeks a year, I built up enough to make to give me five weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. And I requested my manager if I could take five weeks straight. And finally, he said he gave me permission to do that. So I phoned my wife up and I said, how'd you like to go to California? And she said, California? Great. Well, and, so, a guy, and a guy had been telling you all about it uh, for years. I was working with right. had been there, yeah. done the trip down to California, up the coast, and told me all about how wonderful it was. About it and my, my tongue was hanging out to go. <laughs> so I phoned her and I said, how'd you like to go? Oh, great. She was ready to go right away. 
So she started packing up, and it wasn't long we were, we got her sister in and the two kids, two girls, right. and uh, put a roof rack on the car and took camp stoves and and little chairs to sit on. Or sometimes we'd stop along the road and make up a little lunch. And right. So you drove Toronto all the way down to California. Down through Route 66, it was known as the straight route down to right. L.A. Right. And, and you spent five weeks on the road five going weeks, up the coast? Right, and, down right. California, up the coast. Yeah. Right. And this um, was in the 60s. What year was this? 63. Mm. Summer of 1963. Yeah. My mom, her sister. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, Nanny's sister and you and Nanny. Yeah, that's... Yeah, we had a wonderful right, time, right. wonderful trip. Yeah. Seen all the things along. And you haven't been back to California since. I haven't been back, and I'd love to go back, but uh, I never got. Uh, we never forgot that trip, especially uh, Helen and her sister. Really, really enjoyed that. Right. Grace never had a, had an, uh, a holiday like that in her life before. It's right. Just, yeah, so. it's amazing. I think our I think our generation takes that stuff for granted. We just travel. We, you know. You were saying you saved up your money so you could buy this house, you know, and I'm going, we just, we buy stuff we don't have money for. Take me back uh, a little bit to your um, Christian experience uh, with, I I always remember, even before I was going to church or anything, I would go over to your house and I'd see a Bible sitting out in that front room, big black Bible, always open to something. Mm. What was your daily routine because uh, no, now you've been a Christian for you know a lot of years. What what was and is your daily routine in regard to scripture, prayer, that kind of stuff? Oh, daily routine is maybe the same as a, a lot of Christians' routine. Uh, I had uh, I was in communication with People's Church a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, I used to get uh, their booklets on. Uh, on thought for the day, and I, I begin with the thought for the day, mm-hmm. with a little book of thought for the day through the different months, mm-hmm. and I start off with that and get the thought and uh, go to the scriptures and read up in the scriptures along that line and uh, have a little read in the morning, a little prayer, mm-hmm. and usually start off the day that way. Right. And what, uh, how would you choose what to read? Would you just read through entire biblical books? Or well, would you usually just follow take... through, yeah. Right. Most of the time, right. uh, I wouldn't zero in on one in you know, particular area. Right. Reverse to verse, you know? Right, right. So so, uh, so you would just you'd read the scriptures, you'd pray. How long was that amount of time every day? On the average, each day, maybe half, three-quarters of an hour before I got started. Right. I used to get the... Used to usually be up first, and I'd start to get the breakfast and the coffee on and all that. So uh, mm-hmm. that was the start of my day. You continue now to uh, tell people about Christ pretty, pretty uh, faithful, well, every faithfully. Every opportunity I get, without you know, without upsetting them, I try to be soft about it and go in. And whenever I got a chance to witness. But, uh, What's a couple of examples recently of, I mean, you just got a heart for people. You have a heart that they would meet Jesus. And what does that look like? You were telling me something about you were t- took your car in the other day or something, and you were talking to the guy who fixed your car or the guy, I don't know if it was Canadian Tire or some 
So, oh, he just bought that car just recently. Yeah. And during the time he was uh, selling me the car, I was wait, waiting for an opportunity to speak to him about Christ. So I, and finally, uh, he came out to the car with me, and we were just the two of us in the car. And here was an opportunity for the, uh, us to be alone. And so I just turned to him and said, uh, by the way, do you know Christ? And he said... Uh, <laughs> so, hold on, so hold on, before... So he's selling you a car. Yeah. You're in the midst of yeah. debating prices and whether well, this we, is the car you we're want. We're pretty well there now. You're pretty well there. And so you just out of the blue, so you're talking about air conditioning, all of a sudden you turn right. and say, do you know Christ? I, I just said, by the way, I've been waiting for an opportunity to ask you. I said, do you know the Lord Jesus? And he says, know him. <laughs> I trust him. I was born again. I've been baptized. <laughs> he said, I'm in, I'm in a church in Oshawa, right. a Baptist church. And he said, they're even kind of pressing me to be a preacher. Really? He says, I haven't really got, the Lord hasn't really led me. I said, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah. I said, I've been waiting for an opportunity to talk to you. I says, and here you are. Already born again and saved by sovereign grace. A wonderful experience. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Great so guy. what are other other times? Uh, there's disappointments. Yeah. Uh, first person I met uh, and got acquainted with uh, in the facility I'm living in now, I, I had a talk with this man, and, and uh, he did a lot of reading. He was mm -hmm. quite a reader. Mm -hmm. So I said, uh, you do a lot of reading? Do you, have you ever read the Bible? And he said, no, I haven't. So I said, if I got you a Bible, would you read it? And at first hesitating, he said, yeah. So I got a Bible and I handed it to him. And I said, well, here's the Bible. I said, uh, yeah, good idea for you to maybe pick up one of the Gospels. Maybe you'd like to go read the Gospel of John if you haven't read it before. No, he said, uh, I've decided I'm not going to read it. <laughs> I said, well, you told me you just read it. No, he says, I'm not going to. So he wouldn't accept it. Right. And he still doesn't accept it. Right. And uh, it's been a, two or three years now since I spoke to him, and I have dinner with him every night at where we are, and uh, he knows I'm a born-again believer. He gives thanks at the table every night. We have supper and... Uh, he knows where I stand, and I just don't understand why he will not respond. I pray for him, as well as the others, of course, many others. And uh, you pray for them every day by name, or every day, I pray. of course. Uh, and any other opportunities? Some of the, there are some born, some ladies that are born. Most of the people who live there are female. They're mostly ladies, as is the case in most cases. Most men die before the women do. Yeah. Women seem to outlive us. Yeah. And uh, so there's quite a few ladies that are saved. Mm -hmm. I get to know them, mm -hmm. but uh, not many of the men. Right. But when you're out on the town and you're doing normal stuff like buying cars and you have a heart to somehow talk to people, about Christ. You see that as a goal. I'm just, you know, a lot of people your age, you know, aren't aren't really that adamant about still doing well, this. 
you know, I don't go around sounding off everywhere I go, but yeah. I wait and, w and watch for opportunities to speak to somebody carefully, you know. Right. I'm, I'm not an evangelist, so to speak. Uh, I just like to try to approach people and get get a feel for them or where they're going. And uh, mm -hmm. there, there's another man that I've been trying to talk to lately, and he's a reader. He reads book after book after book. And the other day I said to him, you know, I said, I know you do a lot of reading, but I said, uh, do you have a Bible in your room? And he said, no, I don't. I said, well, you mean you don't have a, you don't have a Bible? No, he says, we have a family Bible. I said, where's the family Bible? He says, well, I guess it's in the family. <laughs> so I, he didn't know where it was. Yeah. I said, you have a family Bible. I said, you've never read it. No. And I said, all the reading you do, and I says, you have a family Bible, you could go and pick it up and read it. And all the books you read, you've never picked that up and read it. I don't understand. Yeah. And I try to push him into that, but right. you just wonder why. Right. They're scared of it, fighting right. from it. I don't know. What what keeps you after all these years continuing to love God, follow Jesus? What what is it you think about during what is it that you reflect on that inspires well, you? Well, as I said, where I am, I don't have I'm not out to fellowship. I'm missing right. the fellowship. Yeah. And uh but I try to get as much as I can from people's church. I, I follow follow people's Right. Charles Price on TV. Charles yeah. Price, and uh, I, I love Charles Price. Right. I love his teaching, and so I keep in touch with him pretty thoroughly. And uh, I also uh, like the Bill Garther series of, uh, of uh, hymns mm -hmm. and gatherings, and I, I've got pretty well all his videos, mm -hmm. and... Uh, I love the hymns that they sing, and uh, I follow along with them. And uh, I get a lot of I get a lot of feeding out of those hymns. Those mm -hmm. some good quality hymns and uh, well sung, and serious believers involved in that singing. Mm -hmm. And I can play those videos anytime, and it's a, a real lift and a comfort mm -hmm. to me. You're talking to me the other day uh, about the. The um, you were processing the depth of the gospel, the depth of the sacrifice. Yes. Talk about that. Why, why you know? Because that that feels to me like for you to be sixty years into this and still be inspired and in awe, you know, is uh, is encouraging to me. Well, you know. You go along, I think, or I did, you go along year to year, and you're a believer, and you understand that the sacrifice the Lord has made. You, you acknowledge that, that he gave himself, and the, and the sacrifice he made, you know, you realize it was a, a, a heavy sacrifice. Mm. You know that he... Uh, was quite concerned about it before he went into it. Uh, he prayed for relief from it, and uh, it was so much of a strain on him that he, he sweat great drops of blood falling to the ground and praying about it. 
And uh, still he picked himself up and went on to please God. And uh, I think, I just got to thinking more and more deeply mm-hmm. uh, about what that must have meant to him. And uh, as I thought uh, deeper and deeper into it, it just affected me and wonder and caused wonder in me as to what how much that meant to him who had been living holy and righteously in an atmosphere of heaven with his father for his entire being mm-hmm. and all of a sudden be cast into the opposite scene of wicked and sinfulness and evil mm-hmm. and to have to go into that area that he'd never been in before, known it was existent, Mm -hmm. but never going in personally to experience. And it just took me down to thinking more and more and trying to appreciate more and more what it must have meant to Christ. Uh, It just... I just there's no end to it. Mm-hmm. I feel I can never get to the end of it. Right. But uh, was feeling moved mm-hmm. in my heart and in my being to wonder at the just wonder at the the sacrifice he made instead of thinking of it as on the surface. Right. To start thinking more deeply into it. Mm-hmm. And I think we should try to do that to, to realize more and more of what that meant to the Savior. The idea of him on the cross and the Father turning. and We understand uh, the, uh, quite a bit of the physical sufferings of Christ. I mean, it's dreadful. The horror in itself. And the depiction of, of the crucifixion of film uh, certainly brings that out very, very much in evidence yeah. as to what that, that ordeal was for Christ physically. But it's, it's the, what he went through inwardly, what we don't see, mm-hmm. what was that part that was just between him and God that we don't see, and we'll never see it. I mean, we'll never... Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll ever understand just how how deep that was. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing that after so many years, that kind of thinking still you're still in awe of it. It's still fresh to you. It's still new. It's still something that you know gets you up in the morning and makes you want to praise Jesus and follow Him. And you know. Um, so, I mean, as someone who didn't grow up in any of this, I watched you as my grandfather read his Bible, pray, uh, pray for me as a, as a kid. And, uh, you know, that has impacted me, you know, in my faith and following Christ and how to be married and how to be faithful and loyal, have a local church theology, uh, how to grow old well, all of these things you've inspired in me. Uh, and so thank you for that. Thank you for being an example of someone who's gone before 
uh, in my own family and followed Christ and loved him and, you know, being 94 years old and still having Jesus be, uh, you know, somebody that you're in awe of and the sacrament you still think and it still inspires you and moves you and it's still fresh and new every day. Uh, you know, that's all I can hope for in my life. So thank you for that. Well, I'm very glad for that. And I certainly didn't, you know, I did it ignorantly. I didn't realize I was having that much influence on you. I mean, I didn't do it, certainly didn't do it purposely. Right. If you've seen some of those qualities in in me that I didn't see, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time and uh, talking with us. Uh, it's fascinating to be able to chat with someone who's, you know, experienced the kind of things you have. And, uh, you know, um, you've been a, an amazing, you know, grandfather to me and an inspiration for a lot of people. And hopefully a lot of people listening to this will, will take encouragement from your story. So thank you, Bobby. All right. Hopefully. I love you. Yeah, I love you too. Hopefully this has been helpful for you. Thank you so much for listening to Village Talks. Thank you for listening to Village Talks. You can find out more about Village Church, including ways to support the ministry, at thisisvillagechurch.com.